Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And it's edition number 30, so that's something worth celebrating. It's the 30th episode uh, of this podcast. And as always, we're really grateful um, to have you listening. And um, it's really nice to have you on board. But um, more importantly, I'm, I'm kind of just grinning from ear to ear right now. Um, sitting in the Ses Arcades, or however you pronounce it, uh, hostel in San Juan, very close to Toby Clark's house from Walking Ibiza. Um, and I'm joined by the very lovely Laura Green, uh, who's just flown in from Dublin. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> So I'm finally here on the other side of the podcast rather than listening. But um, yeah, so I'm Laura Green and I'm from Dublin and I've flown in today. Um, it was a travel to get here to the hostel that's in north of Ibiza. Um, but yeah, no, I'm grinning from ear to ear as well, Joe, because I'm just over the moon, humble, excited. Um, like I was saying, I don't know how to tell the difference between excite- excitement and nervousness because I don't know which one I'm feeling right now, but probably more excitement, yeah. You're sort of looking a little bit like um, Lara Croft from Tomb Raider, actually. I'm kind of it's it's the sort of combat trousers combo and the slightly sexy black raunchy uh, top and the plaits. You look amazing. You look like you just walked out of a movie. Oh, thank you. I can see the action woman just uh, ready to unfold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm, I'm the Lara Croft inside me is coming out for this 12-day hike. And it's actually very funny that you said that because I did put up a post on my own Instagram um, of my outfit today, and I have so many replies to me saying. Laura Croft and so what and funny enough that's actually my Halloween costume this year so like how bizarre is that yeah so definitely Laura Croft's coming out with me today um, hopefully she will on the hike as well because I will need her it is going to be 12 days and it is going to be challenging especially for me but like I've said to yourself I am mentally ready but we'll see um, and when I put myself to the test where I'm 100% physically able to do this but I do have determination and the positivity that I will and I can't wait to finish, finish that cross that finish line and get my extra large glass of champagne please <laughs> don't worry I'll put that order in at the bar personally for you <laughs> we'll make that happen that's no problem at all um, that we can do uh, the 253 kilometres I can't really help you with uh, yeah. but I'll tell you something if I can do it um, you can definitely do it um, you look a lot fitter and more ready than I ever was when I uh, embarked on that particular journey um, but of course the reason that you're here is because you were the victim of a, a hit and run um, accident I don't know I feel a bit bad to kind of ask you about it to share it with our listeners but for those that don't know why we've given you um, this um, trip of a lifetime really to, to walk around the yeah. island with Toby over 12 days camping and hiking around the entire circumference of this beautiful uh, place that I'm lucky enough to call home and I'm very yes. lucky that you're going to be calling home for the next 12 days just tell us sort of a little bit about it if you don't mind so coming up to December will be the four year mark so it was December 2014 that this <clears throat> accident happened and this it just happened within a couple of seconds that I just remember being so happy a few seconds before it happened and then obviously it happened and it was adrenaline running in and it was just your life just turned upside down and then from that moment I fell on the ground and I never got back up so it took me seven months before I could walk again so obviously it left me unable to walk um, 
I took my four steps seven months after the injury happened and that was in my kitchen with my mum. Um, I walked into her. I just, I just was just sitting on the couch and I was just so fed up of being where I was and not, I didn't want to, I wasn't accepting what happened to me because I was the whole time I was like, why did this happen? And you know, why did it happen to me? I had so much going for me that year. Um, like 2014 was meant to be my year. Like, um, and then it was the end of the year that obviously all went upside down. But the that day was the day that I, I started the fight. And I went into my mom in the kitchen on my crutches. Um, and I put the crutches up against the kitchen table and I just said, look. And then I just took, I just did it and I just took three steps with the strength of my left leg rather than it dragging behind me because it was just, it was just completely dead. Um, and then I took the three steps and I just remember being in the kitchen crying with tears and just ecstatic of what happened. And then my mom was just like, right, this is where you're gonna go from here. And then the whole time, my mom, my sister, my other sister, the whole time they were my backbone of the injury. And it's basically like an explosion that went on in the middle of my leg because I just remember looking down that night and seeing my leg and my toes in the opposite direction. And I just knew then, I, I just thought I mattered completely disconnecting my bottom half of my leg to my top half of my leg. So <clears throat> when that happened, I knew the extent of my injuries. I knew it was bad and then to make it worse, when the injury happened, it was quarter to twelve at night. I my phone went dead, so I had no phone, and I was I fell behind a wall, and the bus drove off, and um, the car drove off, and I was there on my own. Even though I I waved, there was some guy on the bus, and he was like, "She's after fraud, and like she's on the ground, like she's looking for help." And um, so, well, I waved like, and the bus drove off, and I was just really confused that that happened because at that time I needed help and I was asking for help and I didn't get it. So I laid there and it's like your body goes into survival mode. Like your your body actually does that. It's really weird. Um, and then I just lay there and I just screamed for help. And um, my house was like 300 meters away. It wasn't that far from the bus stop at all. So I was screaming for help and no one could hear me. And it started to rain and I was starting to crawl and I was getting covered in muck. And it was just getting really stressful and I was starting like, Getting in, going into shock and stuff and then my mum woke up because she knew that it was the last bus home so by 12 o'clock came she knew that I should have been in the house by then and she heard someone screaming outside and I remember reading an article, remember that I was telling you about that um, this woman was getting attacked and she was screaming help but no one would help her so she started to scream fire and then people would run out of their houses more if they heard fire rather than help so these people came to her rescue so then I started to scream fire and my mom was obviously in the house and she was telling me at the time, she went down to my brother who was in the sit room and she was like to him, I think I hear someone screaming outside. And I know that must have been the time when I stopped, when I gave up screaming. Um, and she was heading back up the stairs and then I just started to scream again. And then she ran back down the stairs. She was like, Marcus, I think that's my Nora. Um, and Marcus was like, oh, he was on the Xbox headphones in, couldn't hear anything. He was like, oh, it's nothing. He walks out the front garden, I seen my hall door open. And then as soon as I seen him, I just screamed one last time, and I was just like, Marcus. And then um, he turned around, and he was like, oh, Matt, it's Laura, she's after getting better. <laughs> and my mom came running over with a duvet, <clears throat> so a blanket, um, a big heavy one, because it was raining. She put the blanket over me, kneeled down, put her hand on my leg, and she was like, what's wrong with you? Um, and I was like, my leg, my leg. And then she seen it, and she obviously seen the way it was, and how it just didn't look 
okay. It just didn't look the way it was supposed to. So she couldn't even look at me. Like, it was the way I was <clears throat> lying there. And she's like, I'm sorry, Laura. And she had her back to me. And uh, Marcus rang the ambulance and it was there within a minute. Like, it was just around the corner. And then when they came, <clears throat> um, they put this big orange inflatable thingy around my leg. And they were like, oh, it's fine. You just dislocated your knee. I was like, okay, that's fine. And I had brand new black jeans on at the time. Very expensive black jeans and very expensive knee-high boots. And they had to cut the knee-high boots and cut the jeans. But I remember when they cut the jeans, my knee just grew in front of me. It just, I have um, pictures there as well that we could probably share too of when the injury happened because it just shows the extent um, and just how. I don't think, I don't think there's any need. Yeah, right, fine. <laughs> any need for that. I'm saying, yeah, just like welling up, but the yeah. horror of it all, it's just absolutely hideous. It was. It's, it's shocking, but it just feels like to go from that to this and kind of, you exactly. know, the kind of the thought process, I suppose, to to really feel ready to be walking around the island of Ibiza is, is amazing and it's just so exciting that you're here yeah. and this is just a little taster really um, of people just to kind of meet you and understand what you've been through really and why we wanted you to come and join us on this um, this magical walk yeah. so it's 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 so exciting to have you here and um, yeah it's you've obviously been to hell and back so this is um, I mean how, how long ago was that? So December 9th will mark four years um, December 9th but yeah it is it's hard to summarise four years of <clears throat> ups and downs you know three major surgeries on my leg extent where you know I was unable to walk and then being able to learn to walk again and being able to do this where one day I thought that I wouldn't be able to do it again you know but yeah I'm getting teary <laughs> Well, me and Davey did nothing but cry that day yeah. that we called you up at night. I've shed a few since then as well. And, um, yeah, it is going to be an emotional little one, I think, having you here for the next two weeks. But um, we're so happy that you're here. And how are you feeling like to, yeah, to, to be kind of going on this journey? I think what everyone, everyone has just been so happy for me, you know. Um, but with yourself and Toby, it was probably the first time that I talked to a certain extent of what happened you know and ah uh. <laughs> pull yourself together love <laughs> no don't because you're going to set me off that's the bloody problem yeah um, it's just it's just um, I think for a long time I was in darkness and to finally see a light at the end of the tunnel but not only that to be standing in that light so I probably sound terrible, I'm sorry guys. <laughs> but I think an Ibiza is me standing in that light. So being able to achieve something where I thought I'd never be able to achieve and not only that, but being able to someone showing around you and say, Laura, all the shit that you've been through the past four years and this thing that happened to you that shouldn't have happened and <clears throat> you deserve this because of that, like so I'm very excited to be here, <laughs> as you can tell. <laughs> and also apparently very upset. But... <laughs> I, t- I, t- I tell you what, I don't know why we invited you over here because every time I, every time I hear I the story, I just end up in floods of tears. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, don't, I hope I'm not going to be in tears now at the end of this. I think we will be. That's the problem. <laughs> Um, but, um, Actually, not go to the finish line. I think somebody yeah. else is going to have to get you that champagne <laughs> and a bucket for all the uh, the buckets of uh, buckets of emotions. <laughs> but no, I think anyone can agree that when you've been through hell and back, and then to finally be on the other end of it, like I have so many friends that have been through shit and they're still going through shit, and they haven't reached the other side. 
where I'm grateful to have reached the other side. Like I can walk, I can go on this 240 kilometer walk around. I beat the island. I can go back to the gym and I can go back cycling. And I wasn't like a really fit person before this injury happened. So it just robbed absolutely everything for me. It robbed my whole life. I wasn't able to go to the cinema because I wasn't able to sit down in that position for for a while. I wasn't able to go to school and I had to teach myself in order to get enough grades to get to college and I was in college and it was lecturers obviously two hours three hours you're sitting there for and it's I'm trying to still obviously get an education because it happened when I was um it was in 2014 so I just went 16 that year so for my 17th birthday and even my 18th birthday I wasn't even able to wear heels so I wasn't even able to grow into a woman you know I wasn't able to be me I was like I was I was held back. It's like I had a rope tied around my waist and I pulled back. You know, you want to do something, but you can't. And the reason why you can't do it is not your fault. So for a big part of it, I did blame an awful lot of other people. Um, I did feel like a victim. But then at the end of the day, you can't because what happened with me is I came across this quote and I still don't know who the quote was from. And I'd actually love to meet the person and just give them a hug because the quote goes, um, the past is the past and it can destroy the future. Live for now what tomorrow has to offer, not what yesterday has taken away. And that has just been my life motto ever since it happened because I can't every single day waste my hours on this earth to think about what happened to me. I have to move forward and ever since I did, I've just become a different person. I've become stronger. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, new balls, please. <laughs> Can we pop? But um, uh, so like to be able to learn from what happened. So a big time, I wish it never happened. But now reflecting back on what did happen, the lessons I learned, the person I've become, and the mentality that I have in life. You know, I'm so humble and I'm so positive all the time, and I'm so the way I have an outlook on life is just. Like so, what if you're if you're stressed today? So what if that thing went bad? It's not gonna ruin the world. Like it's not gonna stop everything. It's not gonna stop the world from turning. Like we're this really small particle in the universe, and like it's just it's just mad when you realise that. And it's for something like that to happen for me to realise that I don't wish that it didn't happen because now I wouldn't be the person who I am if that didn't happen. And I wouldn't have learned the things that I did if that didn't happen. And again, I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't meet you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm over the moon that you're here. I, and Toby Clark's even more over the moon, if that's even possible. So the pair of us are beyond delighted to have you. It's an absolute pleasure. You know, I really hear you when you say about, you know, kind of the way it's changed your life. Because I think the reason I became so addicted to going to India every year is also that same thing of just getting very sick there. And when you come back from extreme sickness, I mean, I'm not just talking about of, you yeah. know, <clears throat> the goa belly or whatever, the deli belly. Um, yeah, when you come back from feeling like you're going to die or something is really, really made you feel like this is it, you know, you, it's over, life, is, life is finished. The gratefulness, the, the pure delight and sheer pleasure of being, feeling healthy and well, again, which all of us take for granted, doesn't matter what you say, we all do, and it isn't until you come up against something that really Fs you up, you know, like yeah. really pushes you to a place where you never believed it was possible to go, and I'm not suggesting I can compare what I went through <laughs> with various bouts of extreme illness in India, but when I get back from that, or I have done a few times, it's like, God, being alive. 
it's a miracle it's yeah. the most amazing <laughs> thing on the planet just being able to breathe and feel good and is just a gift well. being able to walk yeah. as well and I think I think just but what I actually was going to say as well is I'm pretty sure you can all tell at this time that I actually am Irish because I can chat for ages and I can well, do you know what I'm actually going to have to act, you've got like 10 more seconds and I've just looked at the time because Laura Green we have a surprise for you tonight oh <laughs> We, um, we've just uh, got you a pizza, which we're not going to be able to eat because you haven't got time. I have to my note as well because I wear braces. <laughs> oh, bless you. Don't worry. We can get a takeaway back. Um, but we are going to take you to the I Am A Three Justin Manville Acoustic Sessions. It's a secret gig up in the hills near um, San Juan from here. And I think that, you know, being Irish, um, he's, a, a lot of, he's an Irish wife and a lot of Irish descendants. Um, I think he's part Irish as well. But he has a lot of Irish artists and musicians that are going to be playing tonight. And um, it's going to be mind-blowing. So we're going to take you there. We're going to get you to bring that pizza in a bag, get you out of here and go and, um, yeah, go and have some fun because um, I think that you deserve it. And, um, yeah, we all do. And it's just so, 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 so... I mean, just, yeah, we want to celebrate the fact that you're here in Ibiza. So um, let's go. Here's the tears again. Okay, sorry guys, I have somewhere to be right now, so um, I, I have, over and out. <laughs> well, next up, um, you are just the kind of um, the, the precursor really to today's interview, which is with a, an incredible um, psychotherapist actually in New York who I um, chatted to about the clinical trials he's doing yeah. with patients of PTSD yeah. um, with MDMA. So he's testing out kind of how um, those trials can kind of affect people and also people with social anxiety and is also working with ketamine um, on kind of um, psychotherapy patients also suffering from the same kinds of traumas and emotional experiences. So uh, when I saw that this was happening in an article last week, because of everything that we've been talking about and many other things besides, it just sang to me and I really wanted to get him on the show. So um, I have interviewed him this week and this is just the introduction really, the happy part of the interview to have you here with us in Ibiza. And um, now we're going to speak to Mr. Will Mew from, uh, from New York. Thank you so much, Laura. Green for being on the introduction of this podcast. We're so going to be with you at the finish line in two weeks' time and interview you again. Um, yes. But it's an absolute pleasure to have you here, and I'm I'm so so happy that you are. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Joe. And not only that, but I don't even know how I can say it. But I'm sure you can see of the last podcast, I said thank you an awful lot <laughs> when I read that back. I just didn't. I had no words, and again, I I don't have any words because for someone to turn around to you and say here you go for all your heartache and pain you know you deserve this and just to be kind that kindness just goes a long way and like I'll always take that with me it's always going to be my backpack on my back even when I don't have one and yourself and Toby like you are two little stars in the sky that'll always be up there you are amazing and as always Joe thank you and Toby, thank you too. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> oh God, stop! <laughs> let's let's get out of here and yeah, go and go yeah, have a good time. <laughs> Kleenex, please. <laughs> thank you for listening. Will coming up next here on the Reset Rebel. Don't go away. So uh, I'm live on the line with Will Sue, uh, just uh, rushing over the Brooklyn Bridge to make it here. <laughs> Uh, with us this evening I'm really really grateful that you um yeah obviously made it and um didn't get kind of chopped in half by the the opening of the bridge shortly before your arrival it's really really a pleasure to have you on Will (laughs) all right thank you yeah no it's a pleasure to be here yeah I was excited to to hear from you and get your message and yeah really talk about what 
I'm most excited about right now, which is yeah, psychedelics and uh, medicine and how, how you know, what, what, what potential there is for it. Absolutely. I mean, recently um, did a, a great interview with a, well, spoke to a fabulous man on exactly that topic, which the first guy that kind of opened my mind to this whole topic of conversation with them um, was Daniel Pinchbeck, who was actually a guest at a festival here in Ibiza recently. Uh-huh. And um, he obviously wrote that book, Breaking Open the Head. And one of the topics that we actually ended up um, chatting about during our interview was um, the clinical trials of MDMA uh, for people suffering from PTSD. So, I mean, I had absolutely no idea that this was, um, you know, even a possibility or could be happening over in the States. I really just wasn't something that was on my radar at all. And then a couple Uh of weeks back, we had um, a guy on, Darren LeBaron, talking about sort of indigenous cultural use of uh, magic mushrooms and also gourmet mushrooms and kind of, you know, using the psychedelic properties of those to heal kind of depression and anxiety. And then I saw this wonderful post from The Luminous, this fantastic Uh lady... Um, Ruby Warrington in New York talking about how she'd obviously had to do her club soda event and that's what kind of um, alerted me to the work that you're doing which I just think sounds amazing and obviously quite pioneering in some ways. Yeah yeah thanks a lot Um, yeah no definitely uh, I'm familiar with Daniel and uh, yeah he's written some great books he's yeah he's based here in New York City so he he talks pretty often at at some of the events around here. and yeah, it was really great to to you know uh, partner with Ruby and do the event at Club Soda and get familiar with the Numinous for the first time. And yeah, it was a it was a really fun event. So um, yeah, and like I said, I, I'm really super super excited about what's happening right now. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if you want me to go into anything specific at this point in well, terms of the the work we are doing, or what what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm I I would love to to hear more. I mean. The, the FDA, the is the Federation for Administration of Drugs Administration, obviously approved sort of like magic mushrooms or the psychosilibin sort of um, ingredients for um, clinical trials on anxiety and depression. So it seems, is it the same kind of path that's led to these trials that you're kind of undergoing? Because it's, it's obviously, you know, people aren't just going out and taking MDMA and, and, and then they're being used for sort of science. You know, they're actually under the influence whilst you're, giving them the psychotherapy, right, on on the couch? Or how's it working? Talk us through it. Yeah, so the, so the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, and they're kind of the governing body that kind of decides, you know, what's a food, what's a drug. And, and once something is considered like a drug or a pharmaceutical, it's regulated by the FDA. Mm-hmm. So uh, the reason they're involved in these clinical studies is because they kind of uh, I wouldn't. I don't know if, what the right term is. If they work with the DEA, which is the drug uh, drug enforcement agency, they're more of like a policing agency, uh-huh. um, you know, involved in like uh, drug trafficking, etc. But uh, so the DEA has uh, labeled MDMA, um, psilocybin, LSD, and basically all of the psychedelics as Schedule One, which is the most restrictive, which restrictive, which means um, you know, there's two definitions for Schedule One. It's no medical benefit and highly addictive, really neither of which is true for the majority of the psychedelics, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of evidence that they are medically beneficial and um, that really most, there's really not really any significant um, uh, addiction really for them. Um, MDMA a little bit perhaps, but but really overall not, right? And if I think of what the two most addictive and no medical benefit uh, substances actually are, I think of alcohol and nicotine, where they're not only not illegal, they're promoted. So 
Um, that's just to distinguish a little bit the DEA and then the FDA really is, if anything is going to go to market, if it's going to become a phar pharmaceutical where it's regularly prescribed, um, things go through a, a process of clinical trials with the FDA. And so that's kind of where things are at right now with psilocybin and MDMA in the United States, where um, both of them are in uh, clinical trial stages to really prove that they are useful medically. And so once they're they're found to be useful medically, which both are clearly, uh, especially MDMA. MDMA is a little bit more ahead in terms of the stages of the clinical trials. It's really blown away anything that psychiatry has ever seen. Um, you know, scientists or doctors or you know, people, skeptics will be like, "Well, you've only done X number of patients," but the reality is, it, it, it's been an incredible uh, response to these medicines. Again, especially with MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. So, really, if the FDA really we can show them that yes these are efficacious medications then they're really at the point where they should they, well they will recommend to reschedule right because then the two definitions don't fit of no medical benefit and highly addictive and so once it's shown to be medically beneficial the DEA really should have the responsibility to reschedule and then it becomes a much easier prescribable medicine i mean you know i don't know if you've ever been to ibiza um but there's uh, there's quite a high usage of of MDMA going on on this island there's a yeah a lot of nightlife a lot of um you know big clubs and a lot of DJs and you know taking MDMA here for recreational purposes is um is a big thing so you know that's this this podcast is is kind of called the reset rebel and it's based on people that have reset their paths to kind of work in wellness in Ibiza and sort of moved away from that whole sphere so I'm I'm kind of interested I mean obviously you know a lot of people that will be listening to this uh, have have tried MDMA and it's there's no doubt about obviously the kind of catharsis that's kind of created from that whole process of kind of releasing and being able to tap into you know deeper emotions and obviously inhibitions to access those emotional planes are sort of taken away and is that is that where you kind of feel that the kind of the healing or the trauma release work comes from or how does it work? Yes, and I actually just realized I didn't finish answering your question. So what, what the general um, way that MDMA is used in clinical trials is the treatment part of it is about 12 weeks, which means we're meeting weekly with the therapist, or sorry, with the therapists are meeting with, with the patient weekly for therapy, yeah. and once yeah. every four weeks, we give them MDMA, um, and we give them two doses generally. So they, they take 125 milligrams soon after the morning, uh, after they arrive in the morning, and then about an hour and a half, we give them a booster of 75 milligrams, which you're, you and the probably listeners are probably aware that that's essentially pretty, it's a solid dose that's equivalent to, um, uh, you know, what people will take uh, recreationally. And, you know, those sessions last seven or eight hours. Um, and, you know, the trained therapist, there's always a male and a female therapist. So it's two therapists, one patient, um, you know, end up having a very uh, intense and beautiful uh, therapy session where it's not really uh, like a typical therapy where you're just sitting in three chairs looking at each other and talking. Um, you know, usually the person is lying down for a lot of it. Um, they have the option of putting on an eye mask and headphones with music without words. A lot of it is electronic um, uh, or, you know, uh, tribal or, you know, kind of uh, Tibetan gongs or, or pong drums, that sort of thing. And they spend about, you know, what we call going in, meaning kind of uh, looking within themselves you know, uh, seeing what's happening in their body for about, you know, 45 minutes or so. And then generally we find that then people have the 
the, the, the urge to then really talk about something that, they, that had been coming out during that going in process. And so they'll take off the eye mask and then chat with the therapist. And that kind of cycles back and forth, kind of like people think of like the rolling of MDMA um, just naturally seems to go back and forth for the eight hours or so. Um, and that, so overall, they're doing it every four weeks. So three times during three months, they're taking MDMA and you have regular sessions in between of just psychotherapy where you're trying to make sense of the experience. Mm. Um, so, you know, I always tell people, you know, you, you brought up, you know, what's happening at raves or in Ibiza and I haven't actually been, but I would actually love to go. Um, <laughs> so if there's any opportunity, I'd uh, uh, love to come visit. <laughs> Please do. But, Definitely. We'd love that. Yeah. And so, but you know, I, I'm careful to tell people, you know, I don't say that, you know, the only way that this needs to be done is in a clinic. Um, that's the only way to heal. I think anyone who says that is, is, is full of shit, quite frankly, because, you know, um, you know, really it's about the set and the setting, you know, it's old terms that people with psychedelics think about um, and have been talking about. So I think, is there a higher chance that things will be more healing in a therapy setting with people who are trained? Absolutely. There, there's no doubt about that in my mind. But that's not to say that intentional use with friends, um, you know, in, in circles, if they're getting together in, in someone's home, and, and, you know, that can't be uh, healing and cathartic also. Also, you know, going to, to festivals and raves, that can also be in healing in a true way. I just think the chances are less. Um, in any of those settings also, though, in a rave or doing it intentionally at home or even in a therapy setting, there is a chance of kind of reigniting traumas. And if they're not uh, you know, dealt with or healed properly, it can also be triggering and be, un, uh, you know, bring up things and make symptoms worse. Mm. Um, so, and I think again, the chances of things getting worse in a therapy setting are very low as opposed to the other settings when you're potentially mixing with other substances, you don't know really what you have because, um, you don't know the total purity are higher, but you know, I'm, I'm not anyone again who says that, that you, this should only be done in one setting or another. Have you ever sort of taken that those sessions anywhere other than you know you say you put headphones on people though but there's no sort of dancing in the room or anything like that it's purely you know like a still um experience it's kind of laying down and there's no movement involved No actually quite the opposite um you know we really honor you know we have this phrase trust the medicine we're where really we think whatever comes up in the person is what needs to come up and so is there a lot of talking? Yes, but uh, a lot of the people, especially the ones who have been involved so far, you know, are very much believers that the only way we store trauma is not in words, and the only way to heal trauma is not by talking it out, that mm -hmm. the body can hold traumas, and sometimes we hold traumas that we can't verbalize, and those manifest as uh, physical symptoms, uh, you know, uh, tightness in the chest when we get anxious, or headaches, or uh, back pain, leg pain, you know, uh, you know, I'm uh, very much a believer that in, in psychosomatics and that the mind has an influence on how the body feels and, and on disease. And so, um, you know, some more, uh, you know, not unoften people will, you know, will encourage them to, to really shake if they're really not having any specific thoughts and they have, you know, uh, tensions in the shoulders. We try to like work with it, you know, can, does the tension or the pain move somewhere, you know, can it be relieved and can it be released? Um, you know, some of the therapists also are, are trained as body workers. They've done training in holotropic breath work or somatic experiencing therapy, sensory motor therapy. And so sometimes we actually do body work with a patient where, you know, we, they have a certain, uh, feeling we can again, work with it. We can actually, sometimes we put our hands on patients to, to help, you know, release or to, to, to do the healing as well. You know, that's a whole science in and of itself that we can't get into, but, um, 
we also encourage a movement. Some people get up and they will just shake or some people will dance, actually. And, and we think, you know, we welcome all of it. How did you get into this whole work with MDMA? I mean, obviously, this is, I mean, quite new, is it, that they've kind of approved these trials to be to be happening? So in terms of the initial approval, I think the initial ones were about 15 years ago. It's really picked up in terms of the press in the last three to five years. And really in the last year or so is really when it's picked up. In terms of myself, um, it's interesting. So I'm 38. Uh, I've been out of my psychiatry training for about three years. Um, But at 34, I had smoked pot about five times in my life. Uh, I had tried something that people said was called ecstasy, you know, 20 some odd years ago in college. But, you know, we were raised uh, in Southern California in a Jehovah's Witness family. So it was really ingrained in my head from a young age that these drugs were addictive and they're dangerous. And even though, you know, I didn't consider myself Jehovah's Witness, you know, as of 15 or 16 years old, that I held that with me. So, you know, I do have long hair, I have piercings now, but again, four years ago, I had none of that. And so it's really been a transformation. And so it was really a time when I was really depressed. Um, I had just started my psychiatry training and I, you know, I had, interesting, I had trained at the best institutions in the world. I went to medical school at UCLA, went, did my PhD at Oxford. Um, I did my psychiatry training at Harvard Medical School. And then I got there and I'm like, holy shit, like what we're doing doesn't work. We give a bunch of medications that at best work a little bit better than placebo and they give a ton of side effects. I'm depressed and I can't even <laughs> like keep myself. Like really, it was it was a torturous time. I almost dropped out and wow. it is funny kind of looking back, but I was like, what the hell did I just do in my life? And um, around that time, a, a best friend of mine from growing up, he had gone back to school. He kind of did the opposite of, uh, went back to school late and figured out his life early. He was dating his physics tutor and she introduced him to DMT. And, um, she was like, that was his first psychedelic ever. And, um, you know, he actually then was for months telling me about DMT and trying to get me interested. And I was just like, no, no, like something wrong with you. Like you're, you're, I almost called his mom and like, you got to look out for him because he's getting into drugs. It's, it's ridiculous. With his teacher. Yeah. And then, so what finally got me convinced to at least open my mind to these things was that I was doing psychoanalysis on myself, or not with a therapist, obviously, and I was doing dream analysis. And finally, my friend told me, you know, hey, like, they think DMT is made in the brain, and it's released when we have REM sleep and when we dream. And then that, like, was a light bulb for me. I'm like, oh, interesting. Like, maybe if these substances cause visions that are related to dreams, maybe I can, like in my therapy, analyze them and have benefit from them. And that was really the start of it. And then I found out about MAPS and Rick Doblin, who happened to live right down, kind of right down the road from me. And and we connected and really the rest of it history. My my last three, four years of my life has just been, yeah, um, more and more interesting and more joy and, and a lot of excitement around this work. I'm sure, totally. I mean, it's, you know, this is all very new to me. I mean, I I had psychedelic experiences when I was much, 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 much younger um, in my kind of late teens when I went traveling to Thailand. And, you know, they weren't pleasurable experiences and I certainly haven't rushed back. Until recently, some random things have happened to me, like someone had some mushroom chocolates in a fridge and I was dog-sitting and I ate one by accident because I had no idea like what they were and um thank god i only just ate the one because they weren't that nice but um yeah i just had no idea what the hell was going on i was terrified actually i thought i was dying rang up a friend of mine and was like i think you need to come around i'm i don't know what's happening to me right now but it's not good and then eventually i told her what had happened with the chocolate she was like maybe maybe that was like you know that was the catalyst 
And then I sort of thought back to a message that someone had left me before I went dog sitting and realised what happened. And, you know, we started laughing about it in that moment and then everything became hilarious. But actually what I really saw that night when I sat on the balcony for like four or five hours by myself was just like a lot of very kind of internal patterns of behaviour and like, you know, real connection to parts of myself that I really hadn't had the space or time to really look at or think about for a really long time. And I I felt pretty amazing for about at least a week after that, like thinking about all the stuff that I'd seen on that experience. And it was like, you know, this is when I started to become more interested in the psychedelics as as a healing property. I mean, it's just, it is fascinating. Um, And I'm going a little bit deeper into that story. But I feel like, you know, what I really liked about what I read about your um, speech at Club Soda in New York was that, um, you know, you're talking about the drugs that are dished out for anxiety and depression. And, you know, um, they are just repressants. They're things that, you know, kind of basically regress people's human emotions and, and sort of make it unable for them to actually feel anything. And that's just, you know, the exact opposite of what we need to do to release trauma, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, that's really the way I, I think about it. And I really came about it, you know, kind of through my own experiences, but you know, it's clear that other people, you know, both through independent experiences, but also, you know, then I, lo and behold, people have actually been studying this for a long time, like mm-hmm. people like Stan Groff and kind of the old, old uh, tribe of people. And really, yes, they, that is the way trauma is, 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 needs to be healed. Like really, you know, if we just suppress it, suppress it, 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 it never really cures anything. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, in, in terms of your experience, it's interesting, you know, I, I, you know, I <laughs> um, definitely was not the way I, I kind of got interested in <laughs> But it does represent a, a, what I think is an important thing, which is about integration, right? It's about how do I actually get the benefits or, or maintain the benefits or, or even get even better after using? Because your story's not, um, at least from that one particular uh, experience, is not uncommon where someone will say, you know, I'll, I'll take something, I'll feel good for a few days or a week or even two weeks, um, and then, hey, I go back to normal um, after that. I can't seem to maintain it. and. Mm. You know, there's, I think that's a significant thing to, to really for people to consider because I think, you know, the, the, the peak experiences, again, seeing the snakes with ayahuasca or all the colors with LSD, it's in a way it represents kind of like Western culture a bit where we're all about the getting the high and, and the fireworks and what's sexy and, and, you know, doing the work in the weeks and months after to really make changes in your life is not what's sexy, but that's really what we need to do to, to maintain the benefit of these, I think they show us a window, you know, what we see when we're on acid or MDMA or ayahuasca, etc. I think, and how we feel especially is real. But I think um, really to maintain that we have to do the work to find out, you know, what what got us to this bad, you know, or not bad state, but in the state that we're in to begin with, and how do we kind of get out of it. Mm-hmm. And these are tools to kind of show us what what's what's possible, but they're not in and of themselves silver bullets that are going to cure anyone. That's not to say that you know, all of the healing happens in the weeks after. Some of it can certainly be contained within an experience, especially like something like ayahuasca where it, where there's kind of a natural healing presence and, and you can work with it. Um, but but it's not, I would say the most of it is not really happening just in the experience. It happens in the later times. And it's interesting because I kind of toe the line between different um, um Kind of communities, right? I, I am a doctor at the same time. I'm not going to call myself a hippie, but I do go to festivals and I go to Burning Man. And so, you know, I, the, the kind of sh- the 
the talk I have to give to my doctor friends or colleagues is one, but, you know, I also talk to the, you know, the, the festival Burning Man crowd too. And Hey, you know, it's you know, some people there are saying, Oh, these should just be recreational and just take them whenever you want. That's healing. And I'm like, no guys, it's actually not, you know, I, you know, I'm not someone who's against these being used recreationally whatsoever, but at the same time, we've got to be thoughtful about, you know, what are we really doing here? Cause plenty of people use psychedelics and, and don't get healed. You know, I think of like, the, I don't know, I heard this term, uh, uh, um, retreat monkey last time I was actually in a, uh, an ayahuasca retreat legal, I'll say obviously, um, cause I, I don't <laughs> admit to doing anything illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in Peru where, where people had the term retreat monkey, where it's basically people that just kind of go every two or three months and they top up on a week long retreat and, you know, go around feeling like they're enlightened. But for me, it's like, no, if you're really taking away uh, what you're supposed to, why do you need to go back every two months, you know? And so, um, and anyway, just some thoughts about, uh, kind of, uh, what you had said. No, I, I just think it's interesting because there's just such a big scene in Ibiza right now. I mean, of course you've got the, you know, the, the, the kind of, um, the recreational users that are going to DC 10 or whatever. And, you know, like obviously stocking up on, uh, Billy from up the road, who's uh, got all the drugs, but there's a lot of um, you know retreats going on here also with psychedelics and uh, plant medicines and you know in sort of indigenous cultures and tribes and shamans and you know a lot of touristic shamanism going on here as well and sort of ayahuasca tourists that come in and go to these retreats like you just said and you know have these experiences. But what I was actually saying to Daniel in the podcast is he's writing um, a book on ayahuasca at the moment. And yeah. it just feels like, you know, what aftercare is there? If you've been through one of these psychedelic experiences on a retreat, you know, here on the island with ayahuasca, it's like, uh-huh. you know, what, 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 what about the other side when you get spat out the other side and, you know, you've experienced something quite deep um, from, from what I'm hearing. I mean, I, I've never done it myself. I've taken other kinds of plant medicines here, but I feel like it's, yeah, it's, you, you know, things change quite massively in your perception um when you go through these kinds of experiences and it's like what happens after that what is the aftermath when you go back to normal and you've experienced these you know visions and um kind of light bulb moments I guess and then you kind of need to work through that stuff you know that process is quite it's quite intense and quite um maybe quite difficult to unravel in the aftermath somehow yeah absolutely you know I think um Again, I, I, I'm big on saying the, the, the psychedelic therapy, you know, professional therapists are not necessary, right? Anyone who says that, again, is full of shit because, you know, Freud was really doing in his heyday in the late 1800s, which is like at best 140, 150 years ago, humans have been doing healing for tens of thousands of years, right? So to say that we need a therapist is, is, is baloney. Um, but we do need people, you know, emotionally mature humans um, which, you know, can know, know how to hold space, that know how to really be able to just be with someone when they're screaming or they're so tearful or they're sobbing and, and, and can really just hold space for them and not have to intervene, to really just, just be there and, and really encourage the emotion to come out. You know, it happens to be that the people that can do that in society right now, more often than not, are therapists. There's plenty of bad therapists out there too, so don't get me wrong. But, you know, really it's because as, as a society we become really, really bad at dealing with certain emotions. You know, we're, we're not a society that is good at holding space for sadness or fear. 
um, really joy and anger are really things that, that are, are, are normal, right? Those things we see all over the press, all over happening in politics, right? But Donald Trump can get as angry as he wants and, and you know, that, that's considered normal. But if he were to like break down and cry tomorrow, probably the Republicans and the Democrats would be, he's unfit and we got to get him out of there. Because again, because somehow sadness or somehow being scared is weak when, when you know, we've really pushed away these emotions. And so um, for me, it's really just about having people that can really hold space for anything that comes up. Um, you know, and I think that's something that's really hard after someone has an intense psychedelic experience, because then, you know, if you do release some of this stuff, you really start looking at the world very differently. Mm. Um, but then depending who you're around, like, you know, if you have this big epiphany and then you're like, Oh my God, this is why I've been fighting with my mom or my dad for 15 years. Let me go back and make peace. And you give them a call. You've got to honor that those people are in the same places that they're in and, and they have their own histories. And so that can be really difficult. And then people start questioning, well, what was what I saw in their reel? Um, can I really maintain this? Um, and it's really sad. You know, I do think the vast majority of the time with the right support, you know, these can be very, very healing experiences much more often than, than they are right now, even the recreational ones. Mm-hmm. I think for me, what's what's coming up through this making this podcast, and you know, we've done, we've, I've been on like a fasting retreat, and you know, we've gone through lots of strange alternative therapies on here, and and the thing that kind of crops up, I've recently um, been attempting to go sober, and I've been not drinking for the last month, and it was like since since we've been taking out a lot of these different things from the equations, food was probably the hardest, I'd say. But booze has been quite tough as well. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. it's um, it's kind of like, yeah, what happens when you take away your crutches is that you basically are forced to feel everything in its full glory. Yeah. And um, feeling is really hard work. It's something we're not trained to do as humans. And it's something yeah. that we reach for all manner of sorts of things, um, including on this island, yes, definitely psychedelics and MDMA and all the drugs. And it's like, you know, it's it's fascinating what happens when you take that stuff away and the depths that you have to yeah. actually feel into to get through this thing that we call life and this experience that we're all sharing. And it's 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 an interesting one that, you know, really there is a limited sort of training ground for the for the for the feeling, the feeling thing in this life. Like the way we're brought up, the way we're schooled. I mean, obviously our parents can do, you know, lots of wonderful things in that department, but I think ultimately yeah, it's something you have to, it's a skill you have to learn for yourself, how to deal with your feelings. Yeah, well, well, that's the way it's come to, right? Uh, you know, I don't think that this has been the case for human history. You know, some of this uh, I learned by listening or, or uh, really listening to kind of uh, YouTube videos by Gabor Mate, who's like a, a physician who's been doing a lot of uh, ayahuasca healing and um, in Canada for a long, long time treating drug addicts. Mm. But really, you know, it, it's also something that had come to mind for me where the reality is like we've come to this place where these emotions are unacceptable. You know, we, we, we as a culture right now, you know, you know, you know, men and women are often not in the household, especially in America, raising children. They're off working. So you essentially then have babysitters, often teenagers, you know, corralling children. And, and children are essentially being raised in an environment of other immature children, uh, immature obviously because children are immature, but then with teenagers who aren't necessarily emotionally attentive to them, who are on their cell phones, and versus like older cultures, like I remember I did some work in Ethiopia where I was uh, 
during my training when I was going to implement a psychotherapy curriculum for the psychiatrist in Ethiopia. And I was going around and I was telling people like, hey, we're going to do this thing called psychotherapy. And they're like in most third world countries. Mm. Um, you know, most of the houses have two rooms, two bedrooms, even the, the middle class wealthy out, out in the capital. It's a little bit, di- bit different, but the rest of the countries like that. And it's parents. And then all the kids are in the room and the kids stay in the same room until they get married. So they're like in their 20s. So from the moment you wake up, you're with people, you go to school, you go to work there and you're with people all day. You have coffee with all your friends after work or school. You come home, you have dinner and then you go to bed and you're with your siblings. And so you're literally with people all the time. And aunts and uncles are always at your place. And so Mm -hmm. in that kind of an environment, when you're a child, you're growing up, you're around your parents, you're around aunt and uncle, you're around grandma, grandpa, a bunch of actually emotionally mature people. So when shit goes down, you actually have people who can hold space for you, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And and that's not happening in our culture. And so that is actually, it's not something I think that's just a human thing that we need to learn to deal with our emotions. I think it's a Western culture thing. I, I do not think that this is, has been the case. And, and I think that's why we see this getting worse because with capitalism, you know, 70, 80 hour work week, parent, like parents sending their children to boarding school for years. It's like, we're, we don't, we're not doing the, the family, the, the love stuff at home that, that has been happening for a you know, millennia. That's so true. And that's also what I was reading in that transcription on the, okay. you know, the numinous was about, Exactly that, you know, the breakdown of community, the breakdown of, uh, you know, interactions with family and the fact that in the Western world, we're all sort of digital nomads and traveling here and traveling there and not living in the same countries as our families. That's definitely an Ibiza thing as well. There's a lot of people, expats here, like me, for example, you know, my parents don't live in this country. I don't have any family here at all. Um, Blood family. Have my Ibiza family, obviously. Um, But, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like when... When stuff goes wrong, like, of course, yes, you do need people that are really, really close to you to to hold space. And that's, you know, that's why the retreat scene here is 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 massive. You know, it's it's oversaturated here in Ibiza and it's 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 busy. It's busy. There's a lot of people coming here from London and, you know, Berlin and lots of cities around the world for deep healing. And this is definitely a magical place for that. And that's why this podcast exists. But it's it's interesting, you know, to see that sort of, you know, absolute stress and anxiety and depression and and disconnection, really, that, that's going on at the moment that, you know, I mean, I'm a yoga teacher and I, I hold retreats here as well. So it is, yeah, it, it's, it's very sad, <laughs> basically, that we're having to turn to all these crazy quick fix, you know, things, these plant medicines that aren't even things that are grown locally or that we've foraged or found ourselves or worked with or created or you know mixed or kind of um you know some of them are obviously like aromatherapists and things that we have on the island but a lot of these plant medicines they're not they're not local things that we found and that's what Darren LeBaron the 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 mushroom man was was talking about is you know we're flying things in from all over the world to try and kind of like sort ourselves out because we've created these ridiculous problems that you know that only we have um, manifested really in our bodies from from the way we behave over here. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, and I, but I do think, you know, I am, um, although I kind of paint a bleak picture that things are getting worse and look at Trump, etc. I, I, I'm actually in a pretty uh, optimistic state. You know, I think the fact that these retreats are popping up, the re- you know, the, even just if we look at interest in Eastern philosophy and yoga, meditation over the last decade or two, I mean, when I started medical school, we used to call acupuncture uh, complementary and alternative medicine. And now, you know, people take very seriously. And so I think, 
you know, in many ways, consciously or unconsciously, society's looking, Western society's looking for healing. And, you know, I, I think we're doing the right things. You know, it, and it's not that we have to, you know, go back to the family really honoring and, and, and making the family structure important. I think that will probably happen by nature anyway. But it's not just the substances. You know, going to Burning Man, I've, I've been twice now, and, you know, there's in, these intentional communities popping up where people are kind of co-living or uh, really hang out together. I, I mean, I moved to New York City about a year ago, and there's these beautiful communities I found luckily to be a part of one where there's, like, groups of people that are literally, like, 50, 100, 150, 200 people that really – are a pretty tight-knit group that do a lot of things together. They throw events together. Some of these are private, some are public, and I'm sure there's, there's stuff like this out in Europe. Um, but they really are, are, are working at really connecting and, you know, have men's groups together monthly where people are talking about feelings. So, you know, I, I think there is a real attempt to try to build community again. Um, mm -hmm. You know, psychedelics happen to be a part of it. Sometimes, you know, it may seem like a quick fix, but I, I, I really do feel that, that – the intent uh, kind of overall net is a good one of, of people really trying to find real connection. Mm. And how, how are you sort of feeling as a, as a psychotherapist about sort of working with things like MDMA? Is that the only kind of drug that you're working with or what, what else are you actually exploring at the moment? So myself in terms of the, the work I'm doing, um, so the, the, I'm doing MDMA assisted therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. That is part of a clinical trial with MAPS um, that is in, in the phase three, or it's about to start the phase three uh, steps uh, here in the United States, which is kind of like the final step before, um, you know, the, the DEA and the FDA will, the, sorry, the, the DEA will really uh, consider uh, rescheduling um, again to become, have something become more legal. So that's totally only in the research uh, stages. Um, and in, in terms of my involvement, um, psilocybin is, a, I'm not involved in it, but that's, that's also at the phase two trial stage. Um, I think uh, you know, psilocybin for major depression is one. So the other thing that I'm very much involved in is, is ketamine-assisted therapy. That is legal. Um, that's kind of on the market. Uh, I'm here in, in, in my clinic in New York, and I do provide ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Um, so ketamine, I think, has a tremendous amount of potential. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of a less, you know, attention paid to it because it is legal. And I think there is some sexiness to, oh, we've got to fight the government and we've got to make this legal in terms of MDMA and psilocybin, where I think we have a very beautiful tool in ketamine. Uh, it is, it works very, very differently than, than the other substances. Um, it has its pluses and its minuses for sure. It also is very different, right? There, you know, there's been data for 15 or so years of people using ketamine infusions, you know, putting it into the vein to help treat depression and suicidality, which it does very well. Like really nothing else treats suicidality um, in psychiatry. Um, uh, but it's different to be using it in a psychotherapy setting. I use lozenges here where I give people oral ketamine and, and we're more in the MDMA uh, kind of setting where with, with music and, and eye mask um, versus the IV infusion clinics tend to be uh, people not so, meaning the doctors are not so interested in doing therapy. Um, they're more anesthesiologists or primary care doctors who are opening these clinics providing infusions. So meaning that ketamine is also different because it can be used in different uh, settings and in different administrations, um, uh, which is very different than the other medicines. Wow. So what are the, what are the positive effects of ketamine on a on a session then with a with a patient? I mean, how are you how are you feeling that this so, is kind of opening things up for you? Yeah, so ketamine for me, I mean, it's not, so I would say in terms of how it, in terms of the healing it can produce, I think it's probably this net the same as any of the other ones. You know, I, you know, as we were talking, these are, 
you know, healing is something that's available to us by nature of being humans. You know, mm-hmm. things like psychedelics and MDMA and ketamine facilitate that, but they are not providing anything that we can't do without, right? Like, you know, these, these states are ones that I think we, by nature, again, of being human, even, even getting into the visual hallucinations, these trance states, we can do anyway, right? I mean, meditator, long, you know, hardcore long-term meditators have been doing this you know, for millennia. Um, you know, Timothy Leary, the, there's a story that, you know, uh, back when, you know, LSD was in its heyday, went to India and was giving these long-term Buddhist meditators LSD. And they would essentially be like, I don't feel anything from it, almost as if they were already in those states. So, you know, ketamine, <laughs> here, here's some laughter there. But, you know, so ketamine is... Uh, wish I'd so been there. Of, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Maybe we, we, we can... We should have uh, a staff uh, outing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, ketamine, it's just, you know, when I say it's different, I say that the way it works is different. You know, it's a shorter uh, length of action. It's only a couple of hours, which is different than having to have someone all day. Um, you know, it's dissociative, which the others are not as nowhere near as much. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 you know, in, you know, it has like a kind of more of a relaxation than I think, you know, people don't get as anxious or, loud uh, as they do with uh, MDMA or psilocybin or actually not uh, still I shouldn't have said psilocybin with MDMA um, and you know the dissociative part so people are very still throughout the experience it's a very internal experience like one of my mentors who is one of the MAPS therapists she says she considers MDMA a heart opener whereas uh, ketamine is more of a mind opener and I think that's a very interesting way to look at it because it's more um Kind of you can you can look at problems you can look look at yourself and kind of really compartmentalize or deconstruct things in a very beautiful way that's different than the others. So interesting. I mean, I'm sure everybody that's listening to this podcast who lives in Ibiza has um, sampled these um, these uh, healing therapies in very different ways. So it, that's why it's you know interesting for me um, to to be listening to all the things that you're saying and and to look at it from a psychotherapy perspective is is actually just fascinating and, and, and amazing that this is being used, you know, from this, from this angle. And, and so it should be, I mean, I, you know, I think people on this Island have probably saved themselves thousands in uh, psychotherapy fees really from the kind of just the chats that they have when they, you know, get back to someone's house after a club and, and get involved in these kinds of activities and, um, and just talk to each other, you know, I think, um, yeah. there's no doubt in my mind that that is, uh, you know, one way of doing it, as you said before, it's nothing, you know, it is very, very um, helpful when someone is suffering from something very specific to have a, a trained therapist there for sure. But I think just generally providing that kind of open hearted human connection in those kinds of spaces, as well as in, you know, on the dance floor is, um, yeah, it just creates beautiful connections that just aren't necessarily available to us in the kind of, yeah, kind of slightly standoffish world that we live in particularly in England yeah it's been really I know that you've got to go but um, I'm really really just grateful that you could make the time for us Will and I definitely we should talk about getting you over to Ibiza we're talking about doing some kind of like festival next year for the Reset Rebel um, to get some nice you know speakers over and to run some workshops and um, yeah it would be really great to have you yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I'd definitely I'd be interested in, yeah, especially if there's education around this and kind of spreading the good word, I'm, I'm even more interested. One thing I do want to emphasize, because you did say, you know, getting the psychotherapy perspective, and, and this isn't a, I don't say this jokingly, I mean, I, I happen to be a therapist talking about this, but I really think of myself first and foremost, again, as a human being, these are things and techniques and thoughts that I really 
uh, tell myself and tell people realistically, like I, this, the way I'm talking, the way I understand these has nothing to do with anything that I learned at any of the institutions that I told you that I went to really, like if anything, I had to unlearn mm-hmm. a lot of the, the bullshit that was taught there. So, uh, you know, you know, it happens to be psychotherapy, you know, in terms of, again, the context of talking to me, but really, you know, we are all capable of this stuff and it's exciting to really have, have this stuff spreading and yeah, it's been great talking and thanks for inviting me on. Thank you so much, Will. Really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, look forward to catching up um, again when the, the trials are over and seeing what the next step is. We didn't really talk about that, but um, yeah, it'd be intriguing to see if the pharmaceuticals are going to jump on board or what will be happening in that in that way. Hopefully not. But... <laughs> well, yeah, there's a little bit of that brewing already. But yeah, oh, I'm we'll, sure. We'll talk more. Of course. <laughs> All right, Will. Thanks a million. Uh, thank you. Have a good rest of the, your night. Thank you, you too. Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. <laughs>